Or, uh, we face offenses. Ever, ever, ever had any of those? You don't have to raise, especially if it's the person next to you, don't raise <laughs> your hands this morning. I, I find that it is very easy, very easy to get offended. How about you? We live in a world where people are increasingly offended, it seems like. Everything online, the, the, everything from your neighbors, your coworkers, and then you come home and, and you've been offended all day long and you just keep getting offended. And then your friend says you're 50 years old. What is <laughs> up with that? I am not a day over 42, okay? So, anyway... No, today, yeah. Tomorrow will be a day over. So we've been talking through what do we do, biblically speaking. How do we, how do we follow, follow in the path of Jesus when it comes to dealing with offenses? Because the reality is, offenses are events. They, they're going to happen. But offended is a choice. It's a choice that you and I make, and, and what if we could make some different choices? In fact, over the last two weeks, we've been talking about different choices that we can make. We've been talking about how we can make the choice to, to go with forgiveness, right? We can make the choice to, instead of going on some hunting expedition, to go on a rescue mission. Well, today we're going to continue this same series. And I just want to start by asking you a quick question, okay? Here's the question. Have you ever noticed how there's certain things in life that you just don't think about until something is really wrong. You ever notice that? A while back, um, I, I've, I've been an arborist. Uh, I've been, you know, done a lot of tree work for years, and so I hold a, a chainsaw and I climb often. And a, a while back, I started getting a tennis elbow. Anybody ever had that? I never thought about my elbows until I, even just leaning on the bed, it sent excruciating pain up my arm. I, I never once thought about my elbows. I never once thought about blinker fluid until my blinkers don't work. <laughs> Some of you got that. The rest of, the, the rest of you, we'll, we'll talk later. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> and even just a, a, a month ago, I got sick. I got, I got kind of a, a head cold. You know, one of those ones that doesn't go away. It, it starts and it just doesn't seem to go away. I had it for like eight or nine days. And at the end of the eight or nine days, I had to get on a plane and fly out to the Midwest and then, and then go up into, I was traveling up to Canada and getting on another plane and going on a trip with my dad and my brother and a, a bunch of guys. And while flying into Kansas City, as we were descending, something started to happen. Does any, anybody know? <laughs> my ears. I never think about my ears. I never think about how much it can hurt when you have maybe the beginnings of an infection or something going on and now all of a sudden your eardrums are inflamed. My ears hurt so bad that the guy sitting next to me was trying to talk to me and I literally had to say, I'm sorry, and I, I, I'm chewing gum and trying to get them to pop and they hurt so bad and I put my head down and they hurt for the next four days because... My eardrums 
were inflamed. And today I want to talk with you about something that I think gets inflamed that we really only pick up on when we face offense. When a friend or a neighbor, when a coworker, when your spouse, when maybe a person who's kind of your enemy or somebody online writes something and it just bumps up against you and now all of a sudden something is inflamed but it's something that you don't think about until you face offense. And frankly, I think we still don't think about it, but we should. A few months ago, I came across this quote that pointed it out to me. Timothy Keller, a pastor in New York City who passed away just recently, wrote this. He said, this is precisely how the human ego works. It hurts when it's inflamed. Uh-oh. Yeah, if you didn't pick up on it, here's what we're going to talk about today. Our egos. We're going to talk about pride and the problem of how we often think of ourselves way too much and how that impacts the way that we deal with offense and if we don't deal with our egos and turn to the path of Jesus, which is humility, we're going to keep getting offended. Look at what else he says. He says, it hurts when it's inflamed. Sure, it's always there. My, my ego is always there. Everyone's got an ego, but when it's oversized, it's constantly being injured or threatened. When it's all about me, I'm constantly aware of myself, bracing myself for ego injury. Anybody else uncomfortable? Even if you're watching online and you're sitting at home, I would guess maybe you're somewhat uncomfortable. And here's the reality. Oftentimes our egos end up being like this. They get inflamed. Now, here's the thing. If I were walking around and I just had this kind of, you know, draped over my back, I'd be bumping into all kinds of people, and I may be oblivious to the fact it's there, but you wouldn't be oblivious to it, would you? You'd see it. This thing would be hitting you, knocking things over, and I could keep going. And the reality is, frankly, I think for most of us, that's how our ego works. We're oblivious to it. And yet it's this giant inflamed thing raising a ruckus. So here's the thing. I think the reality is for me, I'll, I'll just start with me, but you can, you can wrestle with it for yourself. I think the reality is that our ego or your ego is inflamed. That's the problem. Another guy I came across, Brant Hansen, said this. He said, if you're constantly being hurt, offended, or angered, you should honestly evaluate your inflamed ego. Where you're humble and you're not constantly thinking, how do I look or am I success or what do they think of me? How often is that true when we walk in a room? All we can think about is, well, what do they think about me? Do I fit in? Do they like me? Am I successful? Are they seeing me as doing a good job? All of those things. Where does that come from? It comes from our inflamed egos. So I've been wrestling with this question. When I've been offended, when somebody has said something or done something or not said something or not done something that I thought should have been obvious to them, but they, they just missed it, 
when I've been offended, what's really been hurt? Is it, is it me? Have I really been hurt? Have they really done something wrong? Or is the reality that it's actually just my ego that's been hurt? And all of a sudden, now God is giving me an opportunity to let some air out of my overinflated ego. And maybe the problem is actually more with me than the other person than I realize. What do you think? I mean, that's the question that I really want to wrestle with today. How can we start letting some air out of our ego? How do we, how do we take this and get the clip off of here? And, and I don't know if I can even untie this, but hey, I probably fit in around here and I carry a knife, so uh, here we go. You know, we can, we, can, we can begin to let some air out of this thing. How do, how do we do that in real life? with our egos. By the way, that feels really nice. Thanks. That's, that feels good. Well, here's, here's the good news. The scripture makes it clear that you and I can choose to say no to our egos and we can say yes to humility. And Jesus shows us how. Jesus shows us the pathway to be able to, to start saying no to this thing, that, that the more air we pump into it, the more problems it creates. We can start saying no to it and start saying yes to humility. So I want to give you a quick definition for humility, and then we'll look at the pathway of Jesus and how we can start saying no to our ego and yes to, our, to humility. Here, here's the definition that I've known for years that I feel is, is very, very helpful. It goes like this. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Let me make that really, really simple. God's really kind of pretty much up here, like way further than I can reach, okay? And my sinfulness is way, way, way down here, way further than I can reach. I'm not as bad as I could be. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm the worst person in the world, but in reality, when I compare myself to Jesus, I, I am nothing. Humility is thinking of myself less. No, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying thinking less of myself, I'm saying thinking of myself less. And the problem is, I tend to think about myself a lot. How about you? Humility is learning to think of ourselves less. So we can choose to say no to our ego and yes to humility, but how? How? Well, in Philippians chapter 2, a very well-known passage written by Paul to a church in Philippi, a group of believers. We have this incredible passage that lays out for us the example of Jesus and talks to us about how we can follow in his footsteps when it comes to humility. Let me, let me just walk you through what it has to say about our ego and about humility and the, and the pathway to make a different choice when you're offended, okay? Because that's what we're talking about. This is the choice that you can make, the choice to to let some of the air out. Boy, that takes a long time. My ego must be really big. Um, <laughs> this is a choice that you and I can make to let some of the air out, okay? Look at what it says. Philippians chapter two and verse one, he says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, okay, have you been encouraged because of what Jesus has done for you? 
I, I realize in a room like this, there, there's people who aren't quite sure about Jesus yet, and that's fine. But if, but if you are sure, have you been encouraged by Jesus? Boy, I sure have, right? If there's any comfort from his love, have you been comforted by the fact that Almighty God, who is so much bigger and greater, loves you? If there is any common sharing in the spirit, if there is any tenderness and compassion, boy, have I ever felt tenderness and compassion from the Lord, right? If those things are to be true, or if those things are true, then here's what we're to do. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, when I read that passage, I look at that and I go, okay, being like-minded with whom? Having the same love, if we can, you know, having the same love as whom? Being one in spirit with whom? Who's he talking about? Being of one mind with, who is he talking about? Here's the reality. He's talking about Jesus. He's saying, we are called to be like-minded with Jesus, have the same love as Jesus, being one in spirit with Jesus, and being of one mind with Jesus. And now he's going to tell us how we can do all of that, okay? Verse 3, here's what he says. He says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And all of us can just go, check, got that one down, right? Because I never do things just because I think it's good for me. I never cut people out of my life just because I think it would make me more sane. Ooh, that's fun. I never write things online because it makes me feel good. I never chirp back in the middle of a fight because, frankly, I think the other person doesn't see me and I need to make sure that they see me. Hmm. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Verse 4, he goes on. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, here's the thing. I've, I have read this passage for years, but never until recently have I taken the time to stop and think about this in the context of being offended. Because when I'm offended, I think the other person needs to know that they're wrong. I think the other person needs to know that they've hurt me. In fact, I have a duty because, you know, God's a God of justice and of course we should let them know they're wrong and they've done injustice against me. And yet, the gospel is entirely a response to offense. And it's not a, I'm going to come at you and prove you're wrong. It's a, I'm going to come at you and I'm going to serve you and lay my life down with you. Why do we think as Christians that that's how we should go and prove that we're right and somebody's wrong? Why? Jesus lays out the example and he says, we need to start serving even our enemies. Hmm. So here's the interesting thing. Paul in this letter, talking to us about how we can deflate this ego, wow, it's a lot smaller now. And if I walked around with it, it'd still be there, but it's not gonna cause all the havoc of before. 
Jesus talks with us about three ways that we can start deflating this. Three ways that we can be unoffendable. The first one is in these verses. It's very simple. Be unoffendable by thinking of others. Taking the time to think about the person who, who you're struggling with. Think about what's going on in their lives. Taking the time to realize that, guess what? Even though they may have hurt you and sinned against you, you have done the exact same thing. And just like you wanted grace in that moment, they need grace now as well. Hmm. He calls us to be unoffendable by thinking of others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes again, he says this, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Verse 15, he goes on and he says this, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Do you get what he's saying? The essence of the gospel is it's a response to offenses, my offenses, my offenses against God and spitting in his face. And what did he do? He thought of me and he laid his life down. And when I put my faith in him, he calls me to follow in his footsteps and to stop living as if life is all about me. Living as if, you know, all that matters is you wrote something against me. You said something against me. You cut me off in traffic and now I'm going to show you. No, what you're showing is your inflated ego. And what needs to happen is you need to untie the balloon. And you need to start thinking of others. 10 years ago, I had a woman walk into my office. This is a lady that I had served as her pastor for about 10 years at that point. Um, she, she was, a, she was a, a difficult lady to love, but we had tried to love on her and her husband. She'd been through all kinds of addiction and all sorts of things. Her husband was very sick and on the verge of dying. And, and God was doing some incredible things in the church that I was leading and we were seeing growth and we'd led through all kinds of change and, and, and uh, she walked into my office, no, no, you know, no warning, no nothing, came in, sat down in, in the chair in front of my desk and she just stared at me and I said, I'm not even going to say her name, but hi, so and so. And she goes, I hate you. You've ruined my church. Hmm. Man, I was ready to fight. I mean, every response was going through my head. It's not your church. It's Jesus. You know, let's argue with the Bible. That's great, you know. And thankfully, God, by the Spirit, took a hold of my heart in that moment and said, hey, Aaron, this is not about you. And I just want to tell you, the reason I share that story with you is that the offenses that you're experiencing are more than likely not just about you. They're about opportunities that God is putting in front of you. How are you going to respond? Do you, do you want to keep up the ego thing and keep knocking things over or do you want to let God use you? Right? I was able to walk out of that meeting at the end of it 
She still wasn't happy, but I knew that God was up to something. I just wonder, what are we missing out by thinking that it's all about us? What are we missing out on? Now, the the text goes on back in Philippians chapter 2, and look at what he says in verse 5. He says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus. Again, here it is. He's reminding us to be like Jesus. Have that same mind. Verse 6, Who being in very nature God. So, to be clear, the Bible claims that Jesus is God. And I want to be really clear, if you're not sure about Jesus, the reason we're, or I'm here, is because I believe that Jesus is God. He lived the life I should have lived, and then the thing that makes me worship him is that he died the death that I deserved to die, and he didn't stay dead, okay? So, Jesus is God, but he humbled himself so much that he became like me. That's hard for me to grasp. That's, like, I think of things that make me feel, uh, y- you know, that, that are like demeaning, you know? Like if we have a big gathering here at, at the church and then afterwards everybody's gone and then, and then you, you, you know, maybe, maybe as, a, as a preacher or whatever, we've had a great day and it's been amazing or whatever, and then at the end, we're out here, we're down on our hands and knees scrubbing the floor or we're vacuuming, or we're whatever, you know? It's impossible to find a human comparison of how far Jesus stooped, right? I mean, there's all kinds of tasks that make us feel demean, you know, like they feel demeaning. Jesus came and lived amongst us and became one of us. That's what Paul is saying. He was in very nature God. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't take what he had and use it to his own advantage. He didn't take his ego and whack people over and knock them over and say, how dare you say this about me? No, rather, verse seven, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human Likeness. What did Jesus do? Jesus became a servant. So, what's going to help us let the air out of our egos? Well, it, it's simple. We need to be unoffendable by being servants. Now, here, here's the thing, okay? Here's what I've found. The text doesn't tell us that that Jesus showed up and just served. The text says that Jesus became, took on the form of a servant. You, You know what I found? Far too often, even when I'm serving, it's all about me. Can we just be honest with each other for a minute? Far too often, even when I'm serving, I kind of want people to see me. Far too often, even when I'm serving, I kind of want people to notice and I want them to be like, oh, you're such a servant. Aren't you just so precious? No, don't say that, please. Okay, but, but in reality, it's, it's like a child who, when they have a task and they do their task and that task, you know, the parents have been asking them for weeks to do the task and when they finally do the task and nobody praises them, it's like, well, pff, why didn't you pray? You just cleaned your own room, okay? I'm not going to praise you for doing what you should do, okay? I, 
I find that, that I am far too often even concerned with myself in the midst of my serving. How about you? And the reality is, <laughs> that was not Jesus. That's not the way Jesus approached it. In fact, Jesus became a servant. Now, I, I don't mind serving, but you know what I, I know about me? I like to be a tourist in the realm of serving. Like, not a lifelong resident. You know a tourist goes someplace, they get to be there a while, oh, this is so cool, and then they go home and they don't have to deal with the issues in the area, right? I like to be a tourist in the realm of a servant. I don't like to be a lifelong resident because if you're a lifelong resident, then people start seeing you as a servant. Guess what would happen if people started seeing us as a servant? We would stop thinking of ourselves so much. What if we just chose to lean in and serve? What if we took the pathway of Jesus and literally became a lifelong servant? Serving your spouse, finding out whatever it is that he or she really, really doesn't like to do, so you just go and do it. <laughs> no elbows right now, please. It's probably the dishes or the laundry, okay? Finding out the things that people at work are, are, are struggling with and just going and serving them rather than complaining about how they never get everything done. Why not serve them? Finding out what's going on in your neighborhood and rather than complaining about how their lawn is never mowed the right way or they don't rake all their leaves and all the leaves get blown onto your lawn, why not become a, say it with me, And little by little, the air is going out of the balloon. And God is changing you and the people around you. Now look at verse 8. It says this. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. There's the, there's the key. This is the idea. This is the choice. You're going to have to choose to humble yourself. To think of yourself less. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. What did Jesus do? He submitted himself to the will of the Father and he sacrificed everything. What do we need to do? Submit ourselves to the will of the Father and sacrifice. This is how we become unoffendable. We become undefendable by submissive sacrifice. I, I love what Paul wrote um, in 1 Corinthians 6 about problems between people. He talked about how there were, there were fights and lawsuits and Christians were suing one another in Corinth. You know, Corinth had a lot of problems, not very dissimilar from our culture today. They had a lot of problems and Christians were fighting and taking each other to court. And Paul writes this and just so poignantly in one verse summarizes what should happen. Chapter six and verse seven, he says this, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. In fact, the fact that we are so offended and we think we're right for being offended means we've given in to the way of the enemy and not the way of the Lord. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? I don't like this verse. Why don't we put this on our walls in our homes? Hmm? 
What if we did? Boy, I think we'd be a whole lot more unoffendable. Why not lay everything down for your spouse, for your kids, for the glory of God at your workplace, in your neighborhood, with your in-laws, whoever it might be? Why not rather be cheated? So let me wrap up with the essence of why we need to be unoffendable. See, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about the gospel and he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All of this, verse 18, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, Christ laid it all down to pay for me. His response to my offense was to go and sacrifice, to go and serve, to submit himself. He, he chose to think of me rather than himself. And he reconciled me to God and he's offered that to you as well. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, we are called to be about the same thing, which means we need to be unoffendable. We need to think of others. We need to be willing to be servants. We need to be willing to submissively sacrifice for the good of others. Verse 19 that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Why in the world do we do something that God chose not to do and he paid for our sins? Why do we just stack up people's sins? Oh, do you know what he did and what she did and they said and blah, 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 blah. Where does that come from? Because it's not from the way of Jesus. He committed to us the message of reconciliation, not the message of retribution. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then verse 21, probably my favorite verse in all of scripture says this. God made him who knew no sin or who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made it possible through the cross that we could be unoffendable people. And for some reason we think we're right in getting angry, but I'm going to tell you, we are not. So here's what I want to call you to do. I want to call you to stop acting out of anger, to stop acting out of righteous indignation, and you may be right that they hurt you and they did something wrong, but what if instead we decided to go and serve the people that we are struggling with? Are you struggling with someone at home? I challenge you, go home and spend the rest of the day serving them and see what God does to your heart. Are you struggling with somebody at work? Go and acknowledge whatever it is that you've brought to the table. Ask their forgiveness. Help them in their job. Serve them. Talk them up. Be, stand behind them and just see what God will do. I think he will start 
changing things. Now let me leave you with a story. There's a man that I read about. His name is Sokrisa Him. He was a Cambodian man who at the age of 14 watched his very large family, all of them be murdered right in front of him. The people who murdered them tried to murder him and left him for dead in a very shallow grave, buried him and all of his family members there. Somehow, by the grace of God, he escaped and he dedicated the rest of his life to finding the men who had murdered his family and he could think of nothing but getting back at them until he was introduced to Jesus. And when he was introduced to Jesus, he said this. In a, a book that I came across called Tears of My Soul. You should look it up. This is his, his, his book. He said this. For years I cultivated elaborate fantasies in which I tortured and murdered the killers again and again. Projecting all of my rage and pain I bottled inside myself in my plans for what I would do to the men when I found them. I realized that I would never know true peace until I had dealt with this as well. I had to find a way of forgiving them before the bitterness inside destroyed me. I eventually found two of the men involved in my family's death in the very village and among the very people that they had terrorized over two decades before. Initially, on hearing that I wanted to meet the men to forgive them, many people thought that my plan was just another attempt to locate the men so that I could take my revenge. To the surprise of the men and most of the villagers, I shook hands with the two men and forgave them. And it changed everything for him. What would happen if you and I started doing the same? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your grace and your patience with me. Thank you that you thought of me and you came and you served me, and you sacrificed on behalf of me. I was your enemy, not because of you, but because of me. Thank you, God, that now I can follow in Jesus' footsteps, that I don't have to be controlled or think that it's right to be angry. I don't have to be controlled by anger, but instead I can be controlled by your spirit and follow Jesus. I pray that that would be true of us, that we would go home and serve, go to work and serve, go to our communities and serve, and that you would change lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?